the Growth Happens Dawn to Dusk podcast with Matt Devitt. He talks with people about their journey, where they succeeded and failed to help others on their quest. We're all on a journey that starts and ends every day. This is when we grow between dawn and dusk. And now your host, Matt Devitt. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Growth Happens Dawn to Dust podcast. I'm Matt Devitt, your host for this show, and we've got a great guest on as always, or at least I think as always, one Mr. Tom Spates, and he's an interesting cat. He is someone that came out of the cement industry, has a ton of experience, worked his way up from a laborer to plant manager. He's also a triathlete, and we get into a lot of interesting things with regards to how his perspective on career has changed over the years, similarities between training for a try versus trying to move up within your job. Just a lot of interesting conversation with him. He's an all-around good guy and really enjoyed my talk. So hope you do too. But before we get into it, please leave a like, subscribe, share, comment, five-star review. All of that really helps with the podcast. Again, I appreciate everybody's comments and helping me get the word out on this podcast. I'm really enjoying making this. I hope you guys are enjoying listening to it as well. So without further ado, let's get this thing started with Mr. Tom Spates. Tom, appreciate you taking the time out of your day this morning to talk with me. Really looking forward to hearing more about your story, your interesting journey. And uh, it's just great to meet back up with you and talk again. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. I'm glad to be here this morning and uh, and, and talk to you and, and give you some insights and uh, whatever I can do. Awesome. So we actually met through a mutual friend, uh, Andy. Uh, I believe it was at one of those conferences cement or lime or something of that nature so just everybody out there that's listening so tom and i have uh um somewhat of a connected background because we're both uh you know rock dust lovers uh cement heads at heart um when we got started in our career so looking over and, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past tom but i mean you started um you know as entry level within a cement and then a cement plant and then worked your way up to plant management. So what kind of happened within there? I mean, how, how long did that go? What did that kind of process look like in a nutshell? Well, it had started even before that. My grandfather came over from Hungary. He worked at the Whitehall cement plant for about 40 years. And then my father worked at the Whitehall cement plant for 42 years. And I've had aunts and uncles and cousins who worked in, at the Whitehall plants and in the different plants in the valley because uh, in, in Lehigh Valley, that's just what you did. You were either worked in the cement plants or you worked for the Bethlehem Steel. So uh, I got my start in the business in 1978 as a college student during the summer. I worked there in order to get money for college. And of course, we were the uh, we were the laborers and we were the guys who had shovels and jackhammers and went and cleaned up the plant and and we filled in jobs for vacations for guys who were on vacation for a few weeks in the summer and did stuff like that. It was great money. It was really hard work, but it was kind of my introduction in the cement business. Uh, I never really thought about cement as a career, but when I graduated from school, uh, times were tough. It was back in 82, and, and, and there weren't many jobs around, so I, I got a job uh, with Systec, the people who did the waste fuels for, uh, for General Portland back then. And uh, I started with them and worked in their lab, and 
Paulding, Ohio for, for a few months and um, kind of got in that way. Worked in Paulding, Ohio for a few months, Woodstock, Ontario, a little bit back in Whitehall. Then I ended up in Fredonia, Kansas and started the waste fuel program for them back there out in August of 1982 and ended up spending my next 10 years in Fredonia. Uh, worked, uh, had a chance to go jump and work on the cement side of things. So I took a job at the quality control supervisor in the laboratory for General Portland in Fredonia, Kansas. And went from there, went from process engineer to uh, CTS for a while, worked out of corporate technical services in Montreal, and then back to Fredonia as the process engineer, and then to Demopolis, Alabama as production manager, and Charlotte, Michigan, and Clinchfield, Georgia, and and um, Capital Cement for, for 10 years as plant manager, and then Giant Cement here was 10 years, or two years for plant manager, and then uh, then I started this job back in 2010. So it's been a long career, a lot of different places, a lot of different jobs, a lot of different opportunities, met a lot of different people. Very, uh, yeah, definitely a very, um, well, I mean, it's it's good to have a listen when people are just like, wow, it's a long career. It's like, isn't that what you're kind of hoping for? Um, but anyways, um, yeah. Fredonia. So when I was at Lafarge, I never made it down to that plant, but wasn't that a plant where there was a ball mill that was actually belt driven? It had a great big belt that was about leather belt that was about six foot wide and about an inch thick. And it, it, it was about 80 foot long. And when it ran, it generated so much static electricity that your hair would stand on edge if you stood next to it. It was really a sight to behold. Since Fredonia was a cement museum, a living cement museum. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, just to have something that big. So, I mean, for again, for those that are listening, I mean, if you ever want to look up uh, mill grinding or ball mill grinding, something of that nature, to get an idea of the size of these things, even the small ones, um, to to belt drive that. I mean, mostly everything today is all um, either hydraulic or you know direct gear driven or or something of that nature. So, I mean, to have a belt drive is is quite impressive. <laughs> They they still had the line shaft set up where they'd uh, run run belts down from a line shaft to make different pieces of equipment work and stuff like that. And and one time I was looking back into drawings and way back and I saw drawings from the early 1900s from 1905 where it showed where they had the barn for the mules because that's how they took the rock up from the quarry. So it had the place where they kept the hay and where they kept the mules at night and the railroad track that they used for to haul the, the rock up for with the mules to the plant. It's really amazing. Wow. Yeah, that is definitely interesting. I think uh, a lot of people forget that, uh, you know, heavy industry, I mean, for a while, there was a transitional period to where it wasn't as the uh, electric, you know, steam driven, like we kind of think about from the Industrial Re Revolution, there was definitely that intermediate where it was a little bit of both, the uh, oh, agricultural yeah. side and the uh, the steam power or electric power. Yeah, they had a lot of people who worked at the, at the plants back in those days, because everything was done manually. There's just very little automation. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. So as you moved, you know, literally geographically moved around the country as well as professionally up within the ranks, when you look back at that, what are some of the items that you think helped you progress within that that company or the, the companies that you're in or even just, you know, to take on new opportunities? What do you think puts you in a good place for those? Trying to learn different things from different people that you'd come across and, and, and different management styles. 
Uh, everybody has something to teach you, and sometimes they teach you something good that you want to follow, and sometimes they teach you something bad that, well, I don't want to do that. Uh, working with all the different people was a, was a, was a great joy because I made a lot of connections over the years. I met a lot of good people and, and worked for, for, for good companies for the most part, really enjoyed what I did. And if you enjoy what you do, that's, that's, that's really the important part, you know? Um, so trying to learn something from everybody that you meet, I think is the, is the biggest thing. And I was fortunate to meet a lot of good people over the years. Did you find the way you, you, looked at, I guess, either promotion or maybe not even promotion is the right word. Let's say, you know, um, opportunities or things you wanted to say yes to. Did you find the way you evaluated those, let's say in your, you know, 20s and 30s. So, you know, first decade of your career versus like the middle part of your career and then towards the end, because I'm just wondering if, you know, so like a new person coming into a job, you know, how would they view things? But did, did you kind of change as you went into those different segments of your career? Oh, it's, it's, there's definitely been a, been a big change, and it's a it's a very good question to ask. When I was younger, I wanted to get the, to the next promotion. I wanted to be a plant manager. I wanted I wanted it really bad, and I would do anything. I would work like a dog. Uh, we we worked seven days a week, a lot of times, did a lot of projects. Uh, would go anywhere that say, "Listen, your next promotion is here." It's like, okay, well, I'm I'm going to go and I'm going to do that. And, and after I was playing manager for for a while, I got up up, up top of the mountain and looked around and said, "Well, this is this is nice, but you know, this is, this is it's not all about the money. I, I want to have the I want to have the freedom to to, to do what I want to do. I want to work for a good company. I want to really be able to enjoy what I do and, and make it not so much work anymore. And and times changed a little bit in the business. It got it got tough when uh, the last recession came on. And, and people, they didn't have long-term business objective goals. Everything was short-term. Everything's what are you going to do next month, and and let's not spend the money to do this. And and you know, quite frankly, a, a lot of people they start looking at a cement plant like a instead of a five hundred million dollar asset like a pickup truck that you're going to turn around and trade in in two years. So it just wasn't so much fun anymore. And I was at the place where I didn't really, I didn't need the money. Money's not my motivating factor. I can make more money doing something else, but but that's not about it because at the end of the day, I want to enjoy my life and I can only eat so much and I can only wear so many clothes and I don't care so much about the car that I drive. I want to have the time to do what I want to do and, and to work for the company that I want to work for and build the company that I want to and, and, and it, it just enjoy things a lot more. So as time went by, my perspective definitely changed. Uh, once I got up on top of the mountain and looked around, I saw it was nice, but uh, I was ready to go back down and do something else for a while. So that kind of brought me here to a to a very good place uh, right now. So I'm very happy with where I am and very content with what my future shares is going to be. From the description that you make of, you know, the earlier days of effectively never saying no, do do you feel the fact that, you know, by not saying no and effectively trying to load up on, let's call it experience capital or, um, you know, professional capital, whatever you want to call it from a, from a term, um, how do you think that benefited you, you know, long-term or, or even in the short term? Well, it's, it's, it's it's not always a lot of fun when you're doing it. It's kind of, it's kind of like training. You know, you, you, you do a race, you train for a race, and boy, there's a lot of times when 
you look on the calendar and it's time for a hundred mile bike ride and I just don't feel like it today. But but at the end of the day you gotta do the work and if you don't do the work you're not gonna get to where you wanna be. So you just kinda shoulder down and you're looking for the long term. You're looking about what the results that you want at at, at the end of your career or at the end of the uh at the end of the race season and not so much what, what you're gonna do today. I mean you you I was never afraid to work hard, was never afraid to put my shoulder down and, and, and really work for something that I that I that I wanted, that I that I really enjoyed doing. And uh so at at the end of the day, if for me it was the right choice. For for me it worked out well and for me if I had to do it all over again, I'd probably pretty much do the same thing. I I I, I can't sit around and wait too much. I just uh too much of my father in me. I just can't uh I just can't. I, I, if I see something, I want to go out and I, I want to go after it. I want to do it. Uh, so I pretty much do the same thing again, for for good or bad. I don't know, but I pretty much do the same thing again. That's uh, not a bad career path when you can take a look back at it and you don't see yourself making a hard left or or right along the way. And it also sounds like the uh, you know the rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. The uh, the fact that you not only, you know, gained a lot of experience, but were able to experience a lot of different aspects of, of the profession or the industry. Um, did that help when it came up to decisions and promotions later in evaluating, like, what direction do you want to go? Yeah, it, it certainly did. I, I remember in, in Philadelphia, when I was the, the supervisory chemist, I was the guy in the lab, the, the guy who ran the quality control department. But I was always, when somebody new came to the plant, I was always looking, to, to like, can I go with him? Can I learn something? Can I do something? I got to the point where in people in people in production or people even in maintenance, they had problems that on the weekends they'd call me up. And it's like, hey, I need some help there. And it's like, oh, I was just a chemist. I wasn't, I wasn't in charge of anybody except in the lab. And, but it was the informal organization. They knew that I was the guy who was going to come out there and stand next to them and hold the flashlight. Even if I didn't know what I was doing, I was still going to be out there with them on a, on a Saturday or in the middle of the night. And so that, so that, that, that call me up and that, uh, that, you know, that, that seek out that, that kind of help, whatever help I could give them. And, and, I, and I learned to look for people like that in, in my organization, the people who were there because they really wanted to be there. And the people who really cared, because I could give anyone a skill, I could teach anyone to do anything. And what, what I can't teach them to do is to care about what they do. I can't teach them to bring a good attitude every morning. I can't teach them to be a team player. I can't teach them to really care, but I could teach them any skill that they need. So that's what I look like, look for later on in my career is people, people who are like that, people who can be. Uh, be motivated to do anything and we'll work together. And, and, and I think that, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. That's what makes a great company. That's what makes a great plan. Do you find it's easier to evaluate people on those criteria that you listed out? Um, do you, or I guess, let me back up. So from the criteria where you're talking about, you know, the, the person wanting to have the drive to, to go, even if they don't know it, but to kind of learn on the fly, do you think you can evaluate a person from a distance just as effectively as working right next to them, you know, with a shovel, basically, you know, working in that same atmosphere, you know, do you think you can actually pick up people that have those skill sets without being in the trench with them? I think it's a lot harder not being in the trench with them. When you're in the trench with them, I think it's easier when you spend time with them because you really get to know someone on that kind of a level. And when you're, 
trying to look from a distance at who those people are, it's more it's more difficult because everybody tells you what you want to hear. And I've had, I've made some really great hiring decisions in the uh, in the past, and I've made some really stinky ones to people. I thought, well, I thought this guy was going to be a good fit, and it turned out not to be because I just didn't have the opportunity or, or not able to spend the time and, and know him well enough to know what he was like or she was like before we hired him. Gotcha. And as you moved up within management, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I'm getting at is as you move up within management, you're always creating distance between um, just levels of the organization. You know, it doesn't have to be all the way to the bottom, but there's always going to be a disparity, uh, kind of a distance there between yourself and, and a level below your direct reports. So how and, do you and, know? and it's go ahead Tom well, well I, I, I'd always tell people listen don't tell me what I want to hear tell me what I need to hear and I'm very cognizant of that because I, I started down at the bottom and I'll tell you tell you a good story I was plant manager at Capital it was a shutdown and the first thing I do every for three days I would crawl on every nook and cranny of that plant and and I wanted to see for myself what things look like so it was a Saturday morning and I'm out crawling through the dust collector, crawling through the main dust collector. And I went in every single compartment and looked at every single tube sheet. And I spent an hour and a half in there and went through everything. And it, and I, I have my, I have an old race t-shirt on and I'm dusty from head to toe, got my respirator hanging around my neck. And I come up to Rudy. Rudy's a potter is our, our, uh, our labor foreman. And Rudy's there with Frank, Frank from Gore. And who's, who's there doing our, our bags for us at that time. And and Rudy, he says, "Well, Frank, this is Tom." And 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 he, he, Frank says, "Well, what do you think?" I said, "Well, I just went through the bags, and here's what I think about this and about that." And we're talking, and we're standing there talking for half an hour. And Frank starts telling me stories and stuff like that. And Frank gets really colorful. He's really he's a he's a great guy. He's a really colorful guy. And uh, and and we're just talking there, and he's getting quite colorful in his stories. And he, he says, "Oh, he says." Uh, by the way, what do you do out here? Are you in production? I said, yeah. And Rudy nudges him. He said, Frank, he's the plant manager. Frank goes, oh, my God. Oh, Rudy, why didn't you tell me? Rudy, why didn't I? I never would have said this. Frank, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, just, I just work here. You know, I'm, not, I'm no different than everybody else. I mean, I just work here. I want to hear what you have to say. Don't. If he would have knew I was the plant manager when I walked up, if I would have been in a nice pullover and all clean, he would have talked to me and told me things a lot differently than he would have told me if, if I was just Joe Schmo walk, walking up in a t-shirt. And I never forgot that. When I when when someone would go out to work with, and when I would see with someone out in, in, in public, a guy and his wife, and I would come up and, and, and say, oh, hi, how are you doing? It's great to see you. And, and I'd say, yeah, you know, I work with your husband. And I would never tell him that I was a plant manager. I would say, listen, I work with your husband. Yeah, we, we both work out at the plant. He didn't say, no, 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 he's the plant manager. He's the, he's the big half guy. He said, no, no, I just, I work with your husband. That's all. And, and when I walked around the plant, my, my, my stick was I'd shake hands with everybody. If I walked past a person, I'd shake hands with them. Didn't matter who it was. Say, hey, how are you doing? Just, you know, and I was on the plant every single day. If I worked at Capitol for 11 years, and I, and I could count on, on one hand the number of days that I didn't get out in the plant and walk around and people knew they'd see me and they knew, and I wasn't doing it to, to, to micromanage people to, uh, to make sure that everything got done. I was doing it. So they knew that I was out in the plant and I cared. And if they wanted to talk to me, 
they could find me and talk to me in the finish mill building. They didn't have to come to my office and, and anything like that. I was going to be out there and see them, and they could find me if they wanted to say, hey, 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 need to talk to you. So it, it's, it's, it, it's very much people-motivated, very much people-based. Try to remember where I come from because it's we're all in this together, and I'm no different than I'm no special than anybody else. Just because you're the boss, you're just you have different responsibilities, but you're no better of a person, and no worse of a person than anybody else is. Yeah, that makes that makes sense with the you know trying to just create a level of accessibility. So when you moved to a new plant, how did you foster that? You know that openness, that transparency. Um, you know, how, how did you create that when you're going into a completely new plant where nobody knows, you know, your history? The the, the biggest thing was was keep your eyes open and 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 try and absorb as much as possible and 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 see what the culture is and see how they do things and keep your eyes open and keep your mouth shut and just try and figure out what what the lay of the land is. What are the things that they need? to concentrate on there to make them successful. And and you can only do, I can only do two, maybe three things, you know, really well. And after that, I just can't do, I just can't do many, many things after that. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple of priorities that you really want to drive home. There's a couple of things that you really want to get. And, uh, and after that, uh, you, you it's hard, it's hard to, to, to be great at four or five things. Figure out what you need to be good at and what you need to be great at. When I came to Giant, it was it was it was shortly after the, the, the strike they, they had had here and they had some labor problems. They had union people, they had non union people and man, it oh boy, it was a war. And the best thing I could do was be a totally neutral party. And uh I remember uh having union meetings with the guys and, and, and that, that have discipline and, you know, somebody would come in and they had a problem. And, and, and when somebody came into my office and said, listen, we have a situation at the plant. I said, listen, I don't want to know names. Just tell me employee A, employee B, and this is what happened. And then here's what, here's what we're going to do. And here's what we're going to make the decision. So I sat down with the union guys and I said, listen, I have no idea who these people are. I don't know their names. And so it doesn't mean anything to me. So I'm not making a decision based on, well, he's a union guy or he's not a union guy. I'm making a decision on what the facts are that were, were presented to me. And th- they could see that. They could appreciate that, that I was trying to be a, uh, a uh, uh, unbiased, uh, give an unbiased opinion. And, and they, they, they cut me a lot of slack because of that. You know, they, we, we worked well together. And when I left, it was funny. They were, you know, they hated to see me go because, uh, because they, we had a good working relationship. So uh, it's, it's, it's going in with your eyes open, with your mouth shut, figuring out what the priorities are, two or three things that you really need to work on and really need to drive them home as, as, as best as you can in, in order to be successful. And it takes a long time. It's just, you, you, you can't change the culture in a couple of weeks and you can't change it in a couple of months. You have to be in it for a long haul. And you gotta do the right things for the right reasons. There, there are no shortcuts. It's, 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 it's really, it's really simple. It's, it's just nose to the grindstone, and you got to keep doing it every single day, and you got to be consistent. And if you do it for a long enough period of time like that, you're going to get somewhere with it. But there are no quick fixes. There are no quick, uh, quick, quick fixes. I guess you know. It just, it takes the time. It takes the work to do. There's no, no shortcuts. 
True, true. I remember, um, I'm trying to remember where I heard this from. I think it was on a different podcast where, um, where the person basically said, you know, everything you want is usually on the other side of hard work. And I found that to yeah, be a very yeah. interesting phrase because yeah. uh, it doesn't factor in time or anything like that. It's just, it's always at the other side of, of hard work. Um, what was that? Oh, it was Tim Ferriss podcast with uh, Tim Kennedy. Anyways. Um, so one the, of the other, the other one I, is, go ahead. The, the, hard, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Right? Yeah. And there's something to that too. Is that a, so now that we're kind of going back with, uh, back and forth with quotes, do you have specific, you know, little uh, quotes or things like that, that have just, you, they've resonated with you over the years? Not, not a whole lot, really. I, and, and, and that's one of the few ones that, that I remember. And, and I think it's very true. The harder I work, the luckier I get. And it's just, there just are no shortcuts. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta do the work. If you want to yep. get somewhere, you, you gotta do the work, period. End of story. Yep. That is very true. So speaking of no shortcuts, putting in the work, you actually have a, a very interesting career outside of the cement professional side. I don't really want to call it a career maybe, but in endurance sports, how did that ever get yes. started? Well, it was December, Christmas Eve in 1984, and I went to put my pants on to go to midnight mass. I couldn't fit in my pants. And I was 20, 20. 23 years old and it was like oh man i put some pounds on i better do something about this so i i joined a gym i was living in fredoni kansas I joined a gym that that uh um, that spring and then i found about there was a 10k race in town so i did the 10k race and didn't train for it all but i finished and just barely survived it 46 minutes 46 seconds and then uh bought a bike Figured I, I always like to ride a bike, so I, I bought a bike from the local bike shop in town. And the guy who I bought a bike the bike from, Rusty Baker, he turned out to he and I turned out to be uh, the best of friends. And he turned me on to biking, and he was a great bike racer. So we started riding a lot, started running a lot. Heard about triathlons; they were they were the new thing back then. And figured, man, if if I could do a triathlon and survive, I could do just about anything. So I signed up for the first one in Tulsa in 1985 and finished that. And did really well. Worked with Rusty over the winter because we would go out and ride. And we would try and kill each other. We we loved each other dearly, but on the bike, I would try and kill him, and he would try and kill me. And we just we started getting fast, and we started riding really well together. And the next year, I I went in another triathlon. And I had I had trained, and I joined a master swim group uh, to work on my swimming skills. One of the guys who I swam with uh, was on the same swim team with Mark Spitz in college, so he really helped me with my with my training and my swimming. And I went back to that same race a year later, and lo and behold, I finished top ten overall and won my age group. It was like amazing. So I'm like, well, this this is this is pretty much fun. I could go through this and work hard and, and do a triathlon. So, so I, I I did a couple more in the next year, and then I figured, well, if, if I could do triathlons, why can't I do an Ironman? So I I signed up for signed up for Ironman, and lo and behold, I hit the Holy Grail and I qualified in the lottery in 1989, and I went over to Hawaii to do the Hawaii Ironman in 1989 with with Mark Allen and Dave Scott and uh, 
and finished that race and, and, and just had no idea what in the world I was doing. Never ran a marathon before, never raced that far before. It was all just totally uncharted waters. But I had a great time. It was in Hawaii. And my whole family got to go. My parents got to go with me. So by by then I'm I'm totally hooked, and I'm doing races all over the South and all over the uh, all over the West, and uh, doing doing pretty well. I'm doing bike races and doing a lot of running races, doing any kind of race that that would come up, and I'd do anything anywhere, any distance. Uh, ended up. Over the years, I've been, been doing it for 34 years now, pretty much straight time. Uh, done seven Ironmans, uh, 18 marathons, uh, a whole host of half Ironman races, dozens and dozens of 10Ks and 5Ks and regular triathlons. Traveled all over the world. Uh, uh, done two races in Europe so far, getting ready to go back next month and do another one in Spain. Uh, all over the United States doing races, uh, met a lot of great people, had a, had a, had a, had a lot of good stories to tell, uh, and, and just enjoy. Hello? Hello? Is this Tom? Who's this, Matt? Who's calling? Yeah, this is Matt. I was talking to uh, Tom Spades. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> what it just got disconnected with them. Yep, that's kind of what I figured. Okay. Uh, I think my phone went into his phone or something here because I just pulled out of the car. Does he does he know who you are? Does he, can yeah, he call you yeah. right back? Yep. 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 All yep, right. Yep, yeah. All right. Thank thank you. Bye no bye. Reason. Bye. So you may be wondering what just happened. Well, so was I. And you could obviously tell that. And it's kind of interesting. It's happened to all of us. Uh, well, maybe not all of us. Uh, just me. Could just be me. I don't know. But let's reconnect with Tom and continue with our conversation. And you'll hear the interesting, well, uh, I guess, short story of what just happened there. So, sorry about the interruption, but hey, it happens. This is life. We just deal with it. Anyways, back to the show. So, thanks for coming back, Tom. Little technical difficulty. I'll uh I'll clean that no, up and no splice it together. That's hilarious though. Like uh so anyways, uh the quick story for the kind of the break in the conversation there is uh um he was talking on his phone uh, was your wife pulled up next to the house or your office. And so it automatically shoved the Bluetooth over into the the car. And, uh, it was nice to say hi to your wife. I remember meeting her at some of the conferences. So it was good to catch up with her real quick. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. She, she says, who, who was that? What's going on here? Yeah, no, it's, it's happened to me a couple of times. It's, technology is it's a two-edged sword. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I believe where we ended up leaving off is uh, Iron Man completed um, out in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, you've been you know doing this for quite some time. You've got a race coming up in Spain that you were talking about. Um, that's quite an extensive list of events that you've been a part of. How did you balance 
you know, not only the training and the events, but also, you know, we talked a lot about your professional career. How did you find a, a happy balance, if, if at all? Like, how did you how did you do both of those? Well, I, I try and fit it in wherever I possibly could. So I try and ride my bike to work as much as I can. And for only I rode 30 miles one way to work and I ride 30, work all day, ride 30 miles back the other way. Uh, I got up early in the mornings, tried to do workouts in the morning, ran at lunch a lot. I'd go out for, uh, for a quick 30 minutes at lunch, quick 40 minutes at lunch, come back and eat lunch. So I tried to, I tried to fit it in around work as much as I possibly can. I remember one year I was I was training for an Ironman. I was traveling in Chicago and I knew it was going to have a long layover. So I took my uh, I took my running stuff with me and, and that was back in the days when they had lockers at the airport and I put everything in a locker and I ran around the uh, entranceway to Chicago airport for an hour and a half to get a long run in because I desperately needed to run. So you just kind of take a shoehorn and fit it in wherever you possibly can. And and when you're when you're getting ready for Ironman, it's the 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 last couple of months. It's just not much fun. It's just eat, sleep, work, and train because you really don't have a whole lot of time to do anything else. And you're not you're tired at the end of the day, and you want to go to bed, and you want to get a good night's sleep. So it's it's not the most exciting life. Uh, it's not a great late night late night activities or parties or anything like that. But in the end, it's it's definitely a lot of fun. It's definitely worth it. So just, uh, I guess, adjustments to your priorities. So I, I assume, you know, the priorities would wane. And as you got closer to an event, it would just move its way up the list. Yeah. And, and, and my wife, she, she knows that. She knows when it's getting crunch time. It's like, okay, you know, we're not going to be doing things around the house. And there's going to be a lot more time devoted to uh, to running and riding and a lot more time devoted to sleeping and, and stuff like that. But the the benefit is that uh, you know a lot of times we get to go great places for for races, go to Hawaii or get to go over to Europe or get to go to the West Coast or somewhere like that. So that's always a lot of fun. Kind of the gotcha. Bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, no, it's 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 definitely to know there's a there's a benefit there besides crossing the finish line. You can also enjoy everything else about it too. Yeah, and you, you need to. You absolutely need to. You need that balance. So what kind tell, of tell, no? Go ahead, Tom. I, I I I tell you one one of my one of my favorite stories. I just I just moved into Charlevoix and was standing there talking to the neighbors right next door, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm Tom, and oh yeah, and, and Christy was the neighbor, and she's like, oh yeah, we run, we run in the mornings. There's a bunch of ladies we run at seven o'clock every Saturday morning. I said, oh yeah, I'm a runner too, so I'll, let's go run. She said, okay, well. We'll meet me out in the lawn here at seven o'clock tomorrow on Saturday. We're gonna go and we'll go for a run or we'll meet the girls. And so okay, so we meet up seven o'clock in the morning. We get down the street and we're running past a few people's house and a couple of people come out and and hi, this is Tom. Just moved in. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Stuff like that. And we get to talking and they're saying, well, well, how long are you girls running today? And they said, oh, we're running for three today. And I said, okay. And I figured three miles. They said, I'll go out with them for three miles and I'll come back and I'll do three miles on my own, get a good 10K in the morning. And we picked some more people up and we were running out of town and, and we just keep on running. And I'm like, hey, I thought you girls said you were running for three three miles today. They said, no, 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 we're running for three hours today. We're getting ready for the Columbus Marathon in six weeks. And I said, three hours? They said, yeah. They said, you're going to run with us, aren't you? And I said, well, of course I am. I said, I'm not going to let a bunch of damn girls outrun me. I had run for more than an hour in a year. 
I mean, I had, I had not been, not been doing any distance work whatsoever. And, and they said, well, you're going to run with this. And I said, well, sure. I'm not going to let a bunch of damn girls beat me. So I ran with them for three hours. I couldn't walk up steps the next week, next week. I had to go down backwards. I had to sit down. I just see if I got home, but I wasn't going to let those women out. And, and, uh, they said, well, listen, now that you did this, this is a big run. You got to come to Columbus in six weeks and run with us down there. So I said, well, hell yeah. I said, you know, I did my long run now. I'm, I'm all set to go. So I ran down with them and ran the Columbus Marathon after six weeks of training. But, but these girls, they were hardcore. They, they, they were running the Boston Marathon. They were running a couple of marathons a year. They, they were really, really, really good runners. And they were really, really religious about it. In Charlotte, Michigan, we ran all winter long. And, and one winter, one Saturday morning, it was 12 below zero. And they had a big group of us out there running. And if you didn't show up, people would stand in front of your house and throw snowballs at your house. So you got out of bed and ran with them in the morning. And that was that was the kind of group it was because that's the only way in the world you're going to get up at Saturday morning when it's below zero and run is if you have a bunch of really good people to run with because you'd never do it on your own. Yeah, community is a is, is a powerful uh, motivator and tool to to help you yeah. move across the finish line. Also, sounds like they uh, were almost giving you a rite of passage <laughs> to kind of oh, join yeah, the group yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it's funny. It's 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 a great story. I love to tell it that it's like uh, they're just a, just a great group of people, and it, and it's it, it's indicative of the kind of people that you meet everywhere when you do that. People who want to be there, people who are enthusiastic to be there. You don't meet people who would say, "Well, I really don't want to be here. I really well." And those people are they're laying in bed, they're sleeping yet, they're not out in the morning when it's cold out. They're not. They're not working real hard. They're not, you know, go out doing a hundred mile ride. People are there because they want to be there, and it's just a great group of people. It's great camaraderie. People, people help each other. People root for each other, and it's just, it's, just, it's just a great environment. And 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 it's just, I, I love it because of that. It's just people who are can do people. People who are there because they want to be. People who aren't afraid of working hard and getting a little cold or getting a little wet or getting a little rainy at the end of the day we're going to relax and have a beer and everybody's going to enjoy it and have good stories to tell yeah it's 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 nice to get yourself surrounded by those external influences it definitely helps i mean it helps in all sorts of matters i mean not just going out and running a long distance but you know you got a project and it's crunch time to get it done i mean it's nice to have a team around you where everybody looks at each other and they're not coming up with uh excuses but more or less you know plan b c and d and rolling up their sleeves and, and just getting after it that's exactly right and that's that's what makes work fun that's what makes it enjoyable what are some of the i guess items that you kind of saw in your professional career as well as your athletic endeavors that you know, same, same. I mean, it, it, from a principal standpoint, they're pretty much the same, though you could implement them differently. But it, it just seems like there's going to be a lot of um, crossover between either the the way you approach them or just the way you were able to attain success in them. I'd say the biggest thing is just just persistence. You got to show up every day, and you got to you got to be there. Uh, I there, there's so many people who come to me and and and. They, they want to talk about training. They want to talk about, yeah, I want to get in shape. I want to do this. I want to do that. And what's the most important thing and the most important thing is consistency. 
you don't have to do a whole lot, but you have to do it every single day. And you have to really, you have to incorporate it in your lifestyle. And it's, and it's the same at work and it's the same for, for training. I have to show up and I got to do a good job every single day. And if I do, I, I'm only going to take a couple of steps today, but if you look a long way down the road, you're, you're, you're going to take a long journey and come a long way because you've taken a couple of steps every single day. And it's, it's persistence. It's, it's all about persistence. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm definitely not the best athlete, but, but boy, you're going to find, you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody who's going to work harder than me. So at, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. The, yeah, the adage of persistent, consistent effort comes to mind when I hear you saying that. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's worked well for me and, and, and I think it could work well for, for anybody in, in any situation, be it, be it at home with your family, at work, it's, there's just so many good things that come with it, and, it, and it's 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 really it's it's not about having this elaborate strategy of how to manage your life or how to manage your clients or how to manage your business or anything like that. It's what it what it's like. It's uh, it, it's uh, execution. It's doing what you say. I remember another another good story. Uh, they had invited. The PCA Safety Council had invited Dave Biddle and myself up to Chicago to uh, to have a meeting with us. And Dave Biddle was a plant manager at Arizona Portland, and I was a plant manager at Capital. And I didn't know why. Why does the PCA Safety Council want to see us? Why do they want to? Well, I got up there and found out that they wanted to see us because our two plants had the best, best safety record in the industry. And they wanted to know why. They wanted to know what we did that nobody else did, what we found out that nobody else found out. And it really got me to thinking about, well, why, you know, why do we have such a good record? What stands out? And and, and I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, and and really came to the point where we didn't we didn't do anything really special. We didn't have any kind of fancy stop program or safety incentive program or we really didn't do anything anything special, but what we did was execution. We did the basics, and we executed them really well. And and I think the same is, was just true for, for, for Dave's plan. And we had both been there a long time at, at, at that period of time. And we had both been there long enough where we could really see and drive the culture and change the culture. But we didn't have an elaborate scheme or fancy program, but what we did, we did really well. And we really got down to, to, to the roots, like I was talking about before. It was being in the plant every day. It was seeing what was going on. It was knowing what was going on. It was being accessible to the people and really just saying to the people, listen, I care because I'm here. I'm here out in the plant. I'm standing next to you in the finish mill. I'm over there in the ball mill with you and, 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 and I care about what happens here. And, 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 and it's like that with, with everything in life. In my business now, there's only only two things that that we do to run the business right now. Number one is have a great product. You have you have to have a great product, and my boss over in Germany makes sure that we have a great product, have great service, and that's it. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about the money. The money will follow. The business will follow. Everything else will follow that. If I have a great product, great service, everything else is going to take care of itself. I don't have to worry about everything else, but I really have to worry about having 
the first two. And, and, and it's, it's not about being fancy. It's about executing. And it's not about, it's about being consistently and executing a little bit every single day. I hope that makes some sense. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, find, uh, as, as, as I've heard people say, play to your strengths. And, uh, or if you know what's most important that's going to get you to where, wherever that is, that endpoint, um, you know, focus on those, you know, solidify those. And, you know, it doesn't always work out this way, but I mean, if you solidify those and focus on that, sometimes a lot of the small items will work themselves out. I, I think that's exactly right. And you have to understand what your what your priorities are and, and you have to, to, to keep them. I know a lot of people, they, they change priorities all the time. Well, today this is important, but tomorrow that's going to be important. Well, what's, what's important today is generally going to be important tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. And like I said before, I can only do two or three things well. I can't do six things well. I just can't. So I got to figure out what those two things are and I got to do them really well. Everything else, it'll take care of itself. <laughs> right. One of the items I'd be interested to get your perspective on, and I've asked this to a couple of other people, but I'd really be interested. So of these three, talent, hard work, and attitude, how would you rank those three as far as most important to, to, to you um, and why? Oh, I, I, I would say, I would say hard work, uh, hard work, number one, talent, or, or uh, attitude is, is, is a close second. But if, if I'm going to work hard, I'm generally going to be successful. I, I might stumble. I might take a long way to get there, but I'm going to be successful. If I have a good attitude, that's going to keep coming back all the time. And, and attitude and hard work are, are, I think they, they go hand in hand. Talent. It's good to be talented, but I've seen a whole lot of people with a whole lot of talent who just who just didn't have the aptitude, didn't have the hard work to to bring it to fruition, and they just they just flounder. They they just don't understand. So so hard work, attitude, and talent. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've heard that with uh, some professional athletes, where uh, not even professionals, but they'll talk about guys they remember playing with that were far more talented, but because it came so easy to them. They didn't yeah, realize yeah, yeah. what, you know, what hard work was to really make it to the yeah. next level. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true in your professional life as well as uh, in athletic life. Absolutely. So one of the items that I know I want to be respectful of uh, your time this morning, but I'd be really interested with. So you were talking about, you know, you're, you're busy with the endurance side of things, busy with the professional life. But what I'm interested in is how do you make sure what you're doing is productive and not busy? Because busy can be a trap and we can all be busy, you know, chewing up hours in the day doing stuff in quotes. How do you make sure that you're always more in the productive side and not in the busy side? Well, it's trying to prioritize and, and figure out what's going to make a difference. And, and, and there, there are some things that, that, uh, uh, in, in the business, some things that, that have to be done. Uh, you know, payroll's got to be done, inventory's got to be done, and those are more busy things. Those are things that are day-to-day -day running the business, and and those those have to be done, but you have to carve out some time for some things that grow the business. These are things that are going to take the business to the next level where you're going to be 
six months from now or where you're going to be a year from now. So most of the day is spent taking care of the business today. Most of the week, excuse me, is spent taking care of business today. But I always try and carve out some time and say, okay, where am I going to be for next year? How am I going to develop those new contacts? Am I going to be writing some kind of uh, paper to present somewhere where I can go and, uh, and, and tell people who, who don't know about our product, about our product? Am I going to, am I going to, uh, be redesigning the website or more informational brochures and stuff like that. So, so most of the business is just keeping the business going day by day, but you have to carve out some time. Where's the business going to be six months from now? Where's it going to be a year from now? And where's the best, best bang for your buck in, or, in order to get there with, with trying to branch out? And, and in our case, it's just trying to make people aware of what we do because we have this little, really, really small niche industry that, uh, that we serve that could probably uh, benefit a whole lot of people who just don't know about us. So, so, so it sounds like what you're saying is there's always, there's always busy. It's just, you got to make sure that you're, you're cognizant of the busy versus productive and make sure that it's in the right allotment. Right. That, that, that's exactly right. And, and a lot of life is just busy, but, but there has to be some productive and, and you have to carve out some time for that every, every day or not every day, every week. And, and it's the same, it's the same with your athletic life too. You know, there, there are workouts that I do to, to uh, to keep, uh, to keep the motor running, to keep things working. And then there are, there are specific workouts I do that are, that are really going to bring increased fitness that are a lot longer, a lot harder. But, you know, you can't go long hard every single day, or especially when you're older, you just, you just need the injury and you just won't get faster. You'll just get broke down. So you have to be smarter about how you do things, not necessarily work harder, but you got to be smarter. Right. Yeah. I mean, staying, staying in the game over the long duration is sometimes just as important as uh, the output you do at any one time. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, how could people uh, not only reach out to you in the uh, the vast interwebs that we have? So how could people connect with you? But then also, um, we haven't talked too much about your uh, brand new company, uh, new-ish company um, that you're working on. So if you want to give people a nickel tour on that, please do. Because it is niche, but I do believe it's uh, something that a lot of people could find um, helpful because they don't even know it exists. Well, it's, it's, it's a real specialty product. It's a high pressure, good CO2 cleaning device that's used in heavy industries to remove buildups and blockages. Basically what it is, it's, it's a high pressure uh, container of CO2 that has, uh, it inserted into the buildup of your, of your, of your process and it has a powerful blast. It's an explosion of energy, an explosion of liquid CO2 that blows away buildup. So it's extremely powerful and it's very easy to use and uh, it can be used in, in many different industries and in time to build up a material flow problem that you have. It's a small German company that I work for. It's a family-owned company. It's been in business for over 60 years now. We uh, we manufacture the product in Germany and we sell and service all over the world now. And there's just a, there's just a lot of opportunity out there for, for people who don't know of our product, who have problems that, that, that we might potentially be able to help with. And it's just, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a great little business to work for and, and, and I love doing it. So we had more than happy to, uh, to talk to anyone about the, 
about what we do or share some great stories. I have a lot of stories over the over the years that uh, that I like to tell them. Some of them are good, some of them maybe not so good. But uh, it's just a lot of fun to get to, together with people and talk about uh, about racing and about training and about what to do and what not to do and just to tell stories. I like to tell stories. <laughs> no, that's good. What's the name of your uh, company? Where's where's the the website? We're we're, we're ATB Pressure Gas Systems, and the website is www.atb-pgs.com. Uh, it's it's also known as, as Cardox. So you can find us there. You can find me on on LinkedIn, and I'm on LinkedIn. And if you want to uh, just reach out to me and via email, my uh, email is Tom dot space s p a i t s at a p d dash e g s dot com and you can just uh, reach out to me and, and and about racing about work about business about anything and I'm more than happy to talk to you and like I said I've got a lot of good stories to tell and it's a lot of fun. Well, that's awesome, and I'll make sure all that information is in the show notes to make it easy for people to to link up with you and and talk shop whether it's professional or. Uh, I don't want to say like athletics isn't professional because I know some people and, and yourself would fall into that category. I mean, you basically treated it like a, like a career. Um, it, but yeah, that, it, I'll it make sure it's of, easy it for people to get hold of you. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that would be great. Cause I'd love, I'd love to hear from people. Like I said, it's, it's, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Awesome. Well, thanks for the time, Tom. Really appreciated it. Great stories. And uh, look forward to crossing paths with you at one of those, random conferences we always see to see, seem to see each other at yes and matt thank you very much i appreciate you reaching out to me and giving me the opportunity to <laughs> to tell a little bit about myself and tell some stories unfortunately i won't be there at ieee this year because i'll be over in spain racing at the world championship but uh, i'm sure i will catch up with you again very soon at one of these random conferences I think you made a much better choice than myself. So, uh, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Another good story to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, take care of yourself, Tom, and appreciate the time. All right. Thank you very much. I tell you what, Tom has got some fantastic perspectives. I learned a lot. I'm definitely going to listen to this a couple more times to pick out some of those nuggets. He's just got a great, just down to earth, just, he's just a good guy. And he's just got some great perspectives on career and life and setting goals and getting after it. And just, just, there's a lot there. So if you found something in this that you liked, definitely share it with somebody else that you think can benefit from it. It's a great perspective. Share it with people. I definitely think there's a lot that can be learned from listening to Tom and all of his stories. To give everybody a quick recap, so since Tom and I spoke, he's come back from Spain from the World Championships, and he placed 19th within his age group. He's really happy with his results, said it was a a tough race, but all of the uh, participants were, you know, just, just fantastic to be around, a lot of great camaraderie, and definitely some more stories have come out of it that I'm looking forward to talking with Tom about in the future. Last but not least, again, if you like this content, please like, share, leave a review. Five stars is always helpful. Also, check me out on the social medias, the Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at the handle of Devitt Matt. Look me up on LinkedIn where I'm participating in a lot of business discussions. 
that uh, that I find interesting. So if you want to follow me that way, you can kind of see what I'm looking at from a business standpoint. But with all of that being said, I hope everybody who's listening to this goes out and has a fantastic day. And just remember, growth happens between dawn and dusk. Mm-hmm.